can hear a bit of static. Where is it? Sorry. It's coming from your vagina. It's <laughs> resting on my leg. Black hole up there. Hey, it's a pink hole. <laughs> oh, God. And like that, we're off. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women through history that you should know about. I'm Talissa. I'm Erin. And I'm Lucy. Woo! And you. this week, you're telling the story, Talissa. No, it's Erin. This week, you're telling the story, Erin. <laughs> it is Erin's turn today. It is, it is, it is. Okay. I'm very excited today, and I think it's a long time coming. Okay. But... I am going to tell you both about the one and the only Gloria Steinem. Yes. In all her glory. Glorious. Uh, <laughs> I just finished binge watching and I haven't spoken to either of you about it yet because Ooh. I wanted to wait until now. Mrs. America. Um, that's one with Kate Blanchett, isn't it? It is amazing. I don't know. I don't know this. Okay, so Mrs. America. You always tell us when you watch something new and you haven't told us I know, I haven't yet. told you yet because I wanted to wait. So it's, yeah, it's got our amazing Aussie expat, export, uh, Kate Blanchett yep. and Rose Byrne. Love her. Who yes. plays Gloria Steinem. Oh, I can see that Yeah, actually. she's great. And it's also got Uzo uh, Duba. She's, of course, from Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Yep. And she plays Shirley Chisholm, who mm. is, of course, the first black woman to become a congresswoman. Of in course. the US Congress, yep, and Elizabeth Banks and Sarah Paulson. So just uh, wow, me- and like many, 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 many others. Just, how have we not? How have it's we not? amazing, and it's all about the Equal Rights Amendment being passed in America and both sides of um, opposing women. Wow. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the thing, women would have opposed that. Yeah, all the housewives were not for it. Oh, yeah. It's, it is. Uh, honestly, I spent the whole time fist pumping <laughs> and saying "Yas queens," and people were like, "Are you? Did you say something?" And I'm like, "No, sorry, I'm just yelling at my iPad." <laughs> my iPad. <laughs> it's so good, and the opening credits are like, oh, it's just, uh, it's so good, it's I'm so excited. good, and it's set in the '70s, and so the the costuming alone, I'm just yes, drooling over. That. Like it's, it's fantastic. The music is amazing, and of course, the story itself is just. It's incredible. It's incredible. And Rose Byrne kills it as Gloria Steinem. I can actually see that. I can see that she would look similar to her. Yeah, she's great. Just a warning for this episode that it does discuss the topic of abortion. So Gloria Steinem is most famous for her major contribution in and being a major spokeswoman for the Equal Rights Amendment in the US. Uh She's also obviously a feminist writer who co-founded Ms. Magazine in New York, Mm. which is a feminist publication still operating today. Awesome. And that's big for a publication. Yeah, a magazine. (laughs) Not an easy time for magazines. She also helped form the National Women's Political Caucus in the US, a caucus... You know, obviously, know what a caucus is. My silence is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? So is Lucy's yeah. for the first time. Um, I'd love to hear the, ex- the definition. Yeah, can okay, you, so a caucus yeah. is definition. a meeting of supporters or members of a specific political party or movement. It's now spread to Commonwealth countries. So it is in Australia and New Zealand and Canada now. Oh. Yeah. And South Africa. And it generally refers to a regular meeting of all members of parliament who belong to a parliamentary party. So it's like kind of like a private yeah. meeting. Just okay, for the, yeah, yeah. So it's like, who are you establishing for that party? 
Yeah. Like, and the people that decide that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Right. Follow it. They're the Democratic caucuses. And she, she formed the National Women's Political Caucus oh. in America. Ooh. Yeah. And she's a writer and has gone on to publish many, 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 many articles and books and essays and done incredible speeches yeah. to this day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's get back in time. Gloria was born <laughs> in Toledo, Ohio in 1934. She was a bit all over the place in terms of living because her dad was an antiques salesman oh, dealer so they lived out of a trailer and kind of Antics this sounds like the beginning of a john green novel <laughs> yeah. um so she kind of bounced around a lot you and know how it's always something quirky and it's like she's an antiques dealer and he makes washing detergent together <laughs> they'll bond over their search for a dead author's last handkerchief and that's that's the plot <laughs> yep <laughs> that's so crazy I've that's glorious life it's so weird <laughs> So then she so she bumped around for a bit and didn't actually routinely attend school until she was like 11, which was after her parents did eventually divorce. Um, I'd like to give a little shout out to Gloria's grandmother who basically walked so that Gloria could run. She So Pauline Perlmutter Steinem, which is her dad's mum obviously, was chairwoman of the Educational Committee of the National Women's Suffrage Association, awesome. a delegate to the 1908 International Council of Women mm-hmm. and the first woman to be elected to the Toledo Board of Education as well as a leader in the movement for vocational education. Wow. Yeah. Pauline, so she's got, she's got a passing interest in women's and, liberation. And, yeah, and she also rescued many members of her family from the Holocaust. So just oh wow, just oh a casual goodness. everyday hero. It's in Gloria's blood <laughs> to be amazing. <laughs> now her mother, uh, Gloria's childhood up until when she went to college, she spent a long a lot of time looking after her mother and being her mother's carer because she said what Gloria has described. She had a nervous breakdown actually before Gloria was born. I think Gloria says that it could have been attributed to societal pressures on women at the time because. She did say in a BBC4 podcast that her mum fell for a guy at her office when she was a journalist for a newspaper and obviously divorce was like a dirty word at the time, like was frowned upon and that was a lot of pressure on her and then I think it kind of led to – there was a lot of contributing factors but out of all of it, it inspired Gloria because she saw caring for her mother, she saw her mother be mistreated by medical professionals – based on her sex oh. and obviously all the reasons why she essentially allegedly had a mental breakdown so it really inspired gloria to be like this is unjust wow yeah. this is sexism and for a long time she did think that it was just the way it was and she just had to get around it she didn't realize that she could actually fight against it yeah fight it exactly mm. that's why it's important because it's such a big inspiration for her from the beginning yeah and obviously it's in her blood she did grow up obviously very quickly in the process and eventually went off to college where she studied government Not a usual study choice for women of the time because why would they need to study government when they're not allowed to do anything in it? Yeah, why? Why? (laughs) What's the point? It's like me going to be a tradie. What's just what's the point? Well, you know, jokes. Um, I was obviously joking too. To clarify, (laughs) (laughs) obviously joking. Yes. Silly, silly, silly. Anyways, so she went to college and then she finished up her studies in 1956 with a fellowship to go and study in India to find herself, obviously. Wow. Okay. And she went there and worked as a legal clerk. She actually left a broken engagement in the process. Oh. oh. Yeah. So she literally was like, okay, I can settle down and become a housewife or not become a housewife, but you know. She was at a crossroads, Britney Spears crossroads. Yeah. yeah. And she was like, nah. I'm not a girl. Yeah. Exactly. She's like, I'm going to hightail out of here and go wow. to India and find myself and... That is my mantra. Relatable 
as heck. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she's always been, and I'll get to this a bit later on, she's always been against the idea of marriage and what it represented, obviously, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So she popped over to India and she worked as a legal clerk and, yeah. She just yeah went to go find herself and thank God she did because the world is better for it. She returned to the US, worked for an independent research service and then established herself as a freelance writer for several publications. She wrote an article about contraception for Esquire magazine, which Mm -hmm. was kind of one of her big first serious pieces that they gave her. But apparently she had to like rewrite it because she obviously put her spin on it. Yeah, exactly. She also casually interviewed John Lennon for Cosmo. Oh, wow. That was a bit later on down the track, but, you know, why not? What? Yeah, Why cool. stop it to just Wait, contraception? She interviewed John Lennon for Cosmo. What an iconic sentence. I know, right? Wild. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely wild. I love it. Now, it was during this time when she was a freelance writer that she did one of my favourite things in her career, which she kind of, not regrets, but she regrets the way that it kind of painted her. In 1963, for a magazine called Show, she went undercover as a Playboy bunny. I thought that was the case. I yes. was wondering when we were going to get to that. This was the favorite. one thing I know about her, but I don't know the details of it. I just know that she has to go it's, undercover. It's, That's it's, literally... It's baller. So she went, she went undercover at Playboy's New York Club as a one of the cocktail mm-hmm. waitresses, which, of course, as we know to this day, they walked around in... Not a lot of clothing, very high heels, bunny yeah. ears. And obviously these were private clubs that you had to have a special yeah. key for and it was all very, you know, sexualized. For her, it was an experimental investigation into the way women were treated in that environment mm-hmm. and the way the job had been crafted with the societal expectations of women and Do their place bunny ears. in a quote man's world. Do I have bunny ears? No, to have bunny ears. Yes, to get One their bunnies. One of those bunnies. really difficult and, beauty standards. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and do you have bunnies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you? Have you been hiding them this whole time? <laughs> I do, but I got them for my first Easter, so they're like, this thing is tiny. <laughs> to do this whole enrolment, auditioning, whatever bullshit process, she changed her name and made a fake birth certificate for the job. So she lied about her age. She was 28, mm-hmm. posing as a 24-year-old. Yeah. And apparently when she went to the audition, they said that 24 was a bit old, but... Oh. We'll let it fly. Ouch. Yeah. Felix. But also, like, good on her. <laughs> Far out. If I tried to be a 24 year old right now, they'd be like, in what lifetime? You haggard woman. This yeah. is like the Leonardo DiCaprio rule. The what? You know how he hasn't he doesn't date yes. women older than I think 26. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think it's like a hard and fast Guys. I will not date rule, but I've just become too old for Leo. I don't think that's a bad thing. What a shame. I will. (laughs) Onward and upward. Yeah. You've got Blake. That's true. Blake is the Leo of Wollongong. It's commonly said. (laughs) It's word on the street. Yeah. Okay, so she gets the gig. She gets the gig. Her job application process involves learning the ins and out of the Bunny Bible and undergoing a... Oh, the Bunny Bible. The Bunny Bible, of course. I love a little bit of alliteration. Yes. And she also had to undergo a full external... And internal body examination. Yes, you're making that face. I can see you're making that face. During her exam, which also um, part of the Bunny Bible, there was demerits for not doing things. So if you were late, if you were not looking good, if you broke the rules, including not going to your exam. Internal exam. You got demerits. Yes. Hang with me. I'm not finished on that one. During her exam, she asked the doctor... If being internally examined and checked for venereal diseases mm-hmm. was a requirement for all waitress positions in New York City, like if that was part yeah. of the Department of Health. And he didn't 
he didn't really answer her question. He just said that it was for her own good and the company's paying for it. So who cares? She left the appointment, got onto the blower and was like, yo, Department of Health, is this a regulation for waitresses in New York City? And they said no. And mm. she's like, well, that's so crazy because I just went for a waitress position and I had to have an internal exam. I'm so beyond confused at yep. this point. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, I'm mad already. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm mad. Mm-hmm. And these clubs were private. Obviously, I said that with the key holders and there were a superior number one key holders, including founder Hugh Hefner, mm-hmm. of course. Um, that was another thing, I think, in her appointment. No, she went to get eyelashes done or something. One of the many requirements of her bunny Bible. And one of the women said that another girl had gotten fired because she didn't make a number one key holder happy in her oh. service. And then Gloria was a bit like, oh, that's a bit dramatic and apparently she basically told him to fuck off so she got fired not gloria but this other girl wow so anywho so then she gets in she does all of her stupid shit that she has to do for this job so she publishes a diary style article that includes some stinger excerpts Mm -hmm. from this bunny bible like this one bunnies are reminded that there are many pleasing means they can employ to stimulate the club's liquor volume thereby increasing their earnings significantly the key to selling more drinks is customer contact they will respond particularly to your efforts to be friendly you should make it seem that the customer's opinions are very important the incentive (laughs) system is a method devised to reward those table bunnies who put forth an extra effort the bunny whose drink average per person is highest will be the winner prize money will likewise be determined by overall drink income. Wow. I just rolled my eyes so hard. I think I've got to pull them out of my head. (laughs) And they also had people, they employed people to essentially spy on the bunnies to ensure that they followed all the rules. They looked presentable. They were friendly, always happy, never late. Check if they had any lines in their stockings because you had to throw them out. And also everyone had to pay for their own outfits, their own uniforms. That's legal. Just quickly, going back to the – you have to act like – they're they're geniuses i know that that's bad but that's not anything new do you know what's sad though like in the u.s every single person who works in hospitality like they get paid out of tips so they do need to be polite they do need to be friendly to the people who come in even if they are the worst people ever like i know that's terrible but i i don't even think that that's that exceptional they're just saying it as it is i just think it's imagine being a man paying for this vip key holder bullshit and then because you need to be validated by beautiful women. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't think it's shocking, that's all. I think the point of her putting this in in her article is that she's saying they are basically, without officially saying it, you can't say no to anything they're saying. Insinuating that you cannot complain about sexual harassment. The power is very clear very early on. Expect sexual harassment because it's coming and you have to accept it. And welcome it it. with a smile. And welcome it with a smile. Just smile. Just smile more (laughs) and you'll Mm. get better tips. And this is a job and this is a job that is obviously sexualized. Yeah. It's very blatantly yeah. obvious that mm. it's, a, it's a sexualized profession. People are paying to be able to do this. Exactly. But her point was to go in there and actually give evidence, yeah. give receipts of all of this of the, the fact that sexist told, behavior. Yeah, and didn't even have the I might also point out that she didn't really classify herself as a feminist yet. This mm. was just a job. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she lasted a month there without being recognised or having her feet fall off from the incredibly uncomfortable shoes that she had to wear. <laughs> wow. Obviously, after that article, because Playboy was huge, um, she earned huge fame, huge attention yeah. from that. And I'm pretty sure they even took it to court over it, of course. 
So after that, she went on to work for New York Magazine as a columnist and she became more and more engaged in women's equal rights movement as she wrote about politics for this column, right? She was also a huge advocate and voice for making abortion legal Um, after she spoke about her own experiences with an illegal abortion when she was 22. So she'd left her engagement and she was on her way through London to India when she found someone who, a man who, a doctor who did an illegal abortion on her. And she actually uh, dedicated her 2015 memoir, My Life on the Road to the Doctor Who Performed the Procedure. And she wrote, Dr. John Sharp of London, who in 1957, a decade before physicians in England could legally perform an abortion for any reason other than the health of the woman, took the considerable risk of referring for an abortion a 22-year-old American on her way to India. Knowing only that she had broken an engagement at home to seek an unknown fate, yes, Queen, (laughs) he said, you must promise me two things. First, you will not tell anyone my name. Second, you will do what you want to do with your life. Ah, that's really nice. I went crying. It's in in the show and I lost it as well. I lost it as well. It's beautiful. Awesome. And I think that that's like, as we know, abortion wasn't technically legal in New South Wales until was it last year. Mm -hmm. And so for all the doctors and nurses who put the health of women as a priority and did it with care and love. Thank you. A hundred percent. Like, and it's it's exactly putting their careers on their line, on the line there. Yeah, exactly. And Oh. oh, yeah. It's, and it's it's such a scary thought that it literally was legalized in the state of New South Wales, yeah. Australia. Yeah. Which last means anyone year. who had to get one had to jump through multiple legal loopholes to be able to access healthcare, which is yeah. just a fucking joke. Yeah. Thank God it's kind of been decriminalized now, so we're on the path for it to be a lot easier, mm-hmm. safer, more accessible, which is so important. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you've got to remember there are so many people through history that put their life career reputation on the line to be able to help women yeah for a medical service which just yeah is extraordinary yeah. of them yeah it's so true and yeah yeah i don't, I don't know that made me well up properly yeah just then. honestly the whole time i'm watching mrs america i'm crying or fist pumping the air <laughs> i'm telling you now like it is and i don't cry a lot and i was like yeah was yeah wow um she actually told a bbc radio 4 interview that she so the interviewer asked her when when did she become a feminist? Mm. When did Gloria become a feminist? And Gloria said she always thought the inequality that she experienced wasn't fair, but she just kind of had to get around it until the late 60s when she went to cover for New York Magazine at this time. She went to cover a hearing in a church basement actually in downtown Manhattan, which was considering liberalising the abortion law. Mm-hmm. And they had 14 men and one nun invited to testify. Wow. And this group of young women were like, uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. What the fuck? They were like, we, we are putting everything outside and we are coming to testify. We are coming to tell our stories. Yeah. And so they all stood up and shared their stories quite detailed, which they probably definitely did not want to do. No. But felt they had to. I don't think anyone wants to relive that. No, mm. no. And it got to the point where they were being asked how they got pregnant in the first place. Mm. Like it was just... Anyways, but obviously Gloria went along for the article or the column and she said, I suddenly asked why. I hadn't told anyone about my experience until then. Suddenly I heard these other women thanking doctors who would sometimes help them and also telling terrible stories of amateur abortions. There were even women in that room standing up and talking in front of hospital wards to explain how they got pregnant. Like it's just just to understand that that happened 
After this experience, she began to write publicly about her own, in her column about abortion, about her experiences with abortion, about how important it is to legalise abortion, which obviously, as we know, was just the beginning of yeah. a fucking long fight. Yeah. Which is still going. Which is still going. Exactly. Obviously, that was such a forbidden subject for so long. She actually said it brought herself a lot of relief. Like it was like a weight lifted to yeah. start actually talking about it and mm-hmm. wanting to do something about it. Yeah. And I think when you can start seeing it as a self care thing and things that, something that liberated you, it's very freeing. 100%. So she was very busy. Very busy woman. Busy, bee. busy, busy bee in the sixties and seventies and eighties and now, um, really. In the sixty late sixties, she contributed to the signing of the Writers and Editors War Tax Protest Pledge, which vowed to refuse tax payments in protest against the Vietnam War. Her fame also boosted yet again after she published an article in nineteen sixty nine, titled "After Black Power: Women's Liberation." Oh, intersectional feminism. Yeah, which put her on the map and like obviously solidified her feminist status. Mm. Um, She obviously then campaigned for the Equal Rights Amendment and she was basically like a spokesperson for a lot of that. There was a lot of spokespeople, but she was one of them. Spokeswomen. Spoke fierce females. (laughs) (laughs) She So, yeah, she became a spokeswoman for the ERA, testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee in its favour in 1970. And that exact same year, she also published her essay on a utopia of gender equality, what it would be like if women win in Time magazine. Mm. She was very involved in all the political campaigns and that's why her and Shirley Chisholm are mates. Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was – she had a – Finger in a lot of bloody pies, let me tell you. But she did not bake them. No, no, no. I'm not saying that she wouldn't have been a good baker, but making a point. <laughs> there's actually a really – I don't want to ruin it, but there's a really good scene. Kate Blanchett p- plays Phyllis Schlafly, which is the basically Stop ERA group leader. Stop ERA. Which equal is rights. Stop Equal right, Rights. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the housewives. And there's a part in the movie where they all rock up with bread and they're like giving out bread to the people who are obviously voting – for that state, I think it was yeah. Illinois, and yeah, it's it's just great. Oof, you could really win people over with bread, though. It's, I know, and they <sighs> freshly okay. baked bread. I don't yeah, want to spoil nice. anything, but it's a risk. It's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were working, you could earn money and buy bread and support business. That's exactly right. So shut right. the fuck up, Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's character, mm-hmm. not Kate. We we like Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. Now, as we know, of course, well. Not we don't not as we know but I'm about to tell you. I don't know it. <laughs> of course, of course. Yes. This was also the same time that she went on to establish Ms. Magazine. Of, co- of course, knew that, Lucy. Yeah. So she was tell still. Tell us something we don't know, Erin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So she was still working for New York Magazine at the time. After already writing her political column for years, she wanted to do more with her feminist ideas. She pitched the idea of a Ms. Newsletter. But Brenda Fegan, who was the then national vice president of the National Organization of Women, now, mm-hmm. tells Gloria that they should take advantage of Gloria's kind of celeb status and make it, make it more than just a newsletter. Like yeah. make it like a glossy magazine. It was kind of like we want to infiltrate <sighs> the housewives, oh you know, God. sitting there getting yeah. their perms it's and stuff. Sneaky. Like, bam, there's our magazine. Yeah, it's great. Um, this was a little bit controversial to some feminists who claimed it was capitalist capitalist making a glossy magazine mm-hmm. but anyways gloria went on to help uh, get the help of her friend and new york mag co-founder clay felker who helped um found 
uh, Ms. Magazine in 1968 when it officially launched, but the first issue didn't come out until 1972. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't have computers, so typing took a while. <laughs> Very <laughs> true. <them> printed. <laughs> yeah, it took some time. Uh, other co-founders were Patricia Carbine and Elizabeth Forsling Harris, and the f- first full-length issue of Ms. Magazine was published in 1972 as part of New York Magazine. It went on to become widely read feminist publication, huge involvement and content obviously surrounding the women's lib movement. In a town and country article on how the mag was created, the magazine's editors included an explanation for the title of the masthead. Amy Erdman Farrell uh, wrote in her book, Yours in Sisterhood, Ms. Magazine and the Promise of Popular Feminism. Mm. She says the use of Ms. isn't meant to protect either the married or the unmarried from social pressure, only to signify a female human being. It's read, it's symbolic and important. There's a lot in a name. I agree. I agree. Can I ask, do you guys have a preference of your... Ms. MS? MS. What do you like? Miss or Ms.? Queen. Oh, yeah. Nice. (laughs) No, I love Ms. So do I. I've never wanted to put Miss. Mm. Or but Mrs. No. No, I yeah. don't think I'll ever put Mrs. Like, why does anyone, like, why, why the fuck do they get to know? But also, like, why, like, why it does your name matter? have an ownership section at the start? I know. Whereas men are just Mr. 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 And we're or like, oh, are you married or are you unmarried? I'm going to be Dame. Like, That's my goal. Oh. I'm going to become a Dame. Oh, yeah? Yes. Watch me. Okay. So, anyways. The magazine sold out of its 300,000 copies in eight days. It included some revolutionary pieces around welfare, lesbian relationships, job discrimination, raising children without gender roles, and a cover story called We Have Had Abortions in which 53 women acknowledged having had the procedure and it included a coupon that readers could fill out to add their names to the list and then be a part of this petition. And there's actually a scene in Mrs. America. Sorry, I'm going back there again. That's fine. where a fan runs into Gloria and she's got a copy of the very first issue, which has this article in it, and she opens it up and says, can you please sign this page? And I was like, oh, my God. It was just like, it was so beautiful. You're making me cry I know, I'm sorry. It was just so beautiful. And Are you okay? Yep. It's just... I'm a puddle. Like, watch the show, but <laughs> sit by a box of tissues. It's gotcha. beautiful. It's a beautiful show. It's a beautiful oh, show. Gloria. Yeah, Gloria. I mean, look, to sober you up a bit, Gloria was like, eh, it's a bit inaccurate, but at least my looks are on fleek. Pretty much that's what she said about <laughs> yeah. it. I would be happy if Rose Byrne played me. Yeah, in, me in too. I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be so thrilled. They made a very clear point of rejecting any advertising that was sexist or promoted products, of Woo. course. And it was a huge voice for the second wave feminist movement in the 70s and went on to attract an estimated readership of around 3 million. Wow. Um, wow, that's a lot. That's yeah. solid. So the first cover, which I'll put up on our Instagram, is inspired by a hindu goddess with multiple arms and right. every hand has uh-huh. a, has like a pot or a, uh, a clock or a, an iron and a baby as well inside so it's like a woman doing a million, a million things. things yeah wow. and can still be a feminist yeah anywho so that after that issue came out they saw around twenty thousand readers write in to comment on how the magazine impacted their life wow. somehow which is pretty epic. That's awesome. Yeah. It went through a bit of a bumpy time through the 80s trying to keep afloat. Obviously, they were being very strict about their advertising. and Yeah, yeah which would be tough. Mm-hmm. Eventually, of course, it was bought by Fairfax, which mm. is an Aussie company, as we know, yeah. uh, in the 90s. And it, as I said, it's still publishing today, oh, which is it? amazing. <laughs> um, Gloria continued as a freelance writer as well. One of my favourite pieces she wrote is was in 1978. She wrote a piece for Cosmopolitan titled If Men Could Menstruate. Hmm. And in it she talks about how if that world existed where men menstruated, 
menstruation would become a badge of honour with men comparing their relative sufferings rather than the source of shame that it had been for oh women. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. It's like, preach, girl, preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ain't that the truth? It was very satirical, but like... Yeah. Good honor. Like okay, now of course, despite her amazing impact on equality and her strong feminist voice, she did cop a lot of slack, um, including from radical feminists themselves. Okay, I love those radical feminists. Yeah, the red stockings. They had a lot to say about Gloria. She got a lot of criticism and questioning around her feminist attitudes. A lot of feminists claiming that she was using the movement to promote her glamorous image, which is of course is ridiculous. God forbid yeah. feminism be. But fun. hey, people have a right to their opinion. People also referenced back to her time working with the Independent Research Institute in the 50s, which was after she came back from India, mm. which was secretly funded by the CIA. Oh. Yeah. Which is another part where she's so like, So is Gloria oh, Steinem actually ideal. also a spy? Well, I don't think she was a spy. I just think the company she worked for was affiliated. And she actually has been quoted at saying it wasn't as bad as people thought it was. And it, but people who knows? People complex. People make mistakes. And honestly, we wouldn't know anyway. Why would the CIA be like, nah, this is what it's really like, yo. Yeah, true. Yeah, so that's mm. where she also has copped a bit of criticism as well. From the 90s till now, Gloria has gone on to co-fund many, co-found rather, and probably co-fund really, <laughs> uh, many organisations including the Choice USA non-profit organisation supporting young people and reproductive choice. She's also a chairwoman for several boards mm-hmm. ranging from supporting women in North and South Korea and peace protests over there to fighting sex trafficking and intergenerational prostitution in India. Wow. wow. She is a busy woman. <laughs> she obviously, as I said, has been very involved in politics. She endorsed Hillary Clinton uh, in the run up to the 2016 US presidential election. Sigh. Steinem was an honorary co chair and speaker at the Women's March on Washington on January 21st, 2017, the day after yeah. Donald Trump was made president. Um, wow. So she's also, obviously, as you can imagine, gone on to write over 20 or contribute to over 20 books, including a book she wrote about Marilyn Monroe. Wow. That was in 1986 she wrote that. She called it Marilyn Norma Jean, which, of course, we know is Marilyn's real name. And she actually said that it was her way of addressing her own hang-ups with Marilyn. Yeah, because she she had a lot of issues with Marilyn and how Marilyn was represented and her sex symbol status. And she says she actually walked out of a a screening of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes in 1953. Yeah. And she said that for years she was – embarrassed by Marilyn and how she represented women and so she actually decided to write a biography about Marilyn to actually talk about the real Marilyn yeah interesting and like kind of really dissect that whole image I get that I I respect it I respect the honesty I also understand where she like it is tough to see your gender represented in a certain way or your Mm. something that you relate to it represented in a certain way but it's also part of feminism to go but that's me and that's you yeah and I I think it's okay to go that's me and that's you but I also think it's okay to query and criticize and wonder why that particular depiction is the most popular one and whether it does harm people totally but I don't know how that's one particular person's no and I don't and I don't think I think the whole point of her doing this was to address that it's not and that's why she called it Marilyn Norma Jean. Jean. It's, 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 not, it's, it's Marilyn it's the persona yeah and it's yeah. the it's the expectation it's the depiction it's that's what society I, yeah. yeah which is like yeah big Makes sense. Yeah. That is always a conflicting situation. I get that. Lift each other up, but uh, work out who's lifting, who's doing the lifting (laughs) in the process. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1986, which she has said was a sign for her from the universe to slow down a bit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's fair. She sounds very busy. Mm -hmm. Very Mm -hmm. busy woman. She eventually went on to 
to marry Christian Bale's dad, David. Oh, really? In David 2000. Bale. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So she, um, obviously for so long she was against the idea of marriage and people oh, yeah. kind of questioned her about it and were like, I thought you didn't like marriage, mate. Why are you getting married? And she said, you know, I've been fighting for marriage equality and the whole chicken caboodle. The whole, yeah, exactly. For like 30 years. Mm. Mar- and it's changed. And it's changed from yeah. when I originally was engaged. And you're allowed to change to your mind. That makes me feel good. Exactly. Exactly. That's nice. We're allowed to change our minds because we're human beings. Yeah. And she's like, I've learned, I've grown, I've fought for this, and it's changed. And things evolve. Unfortunately, he did pass away three years later, though, of um, brain That's cancer, sad. which is really sad. Oh, and she was 66 at the time. Obviously, huge advocate for same-sex marriage and transgender rights, and it's quite interesting in Mrs. America they touch on how in their fight for equal rights for women – they had to also decipher if they were going to add same-sex rights as well yeah. to yeah. it because obviously that at all. Like, you know, all your – It's not really feminism if it's only for straight white people. Yeah, well, exactly. Cisgender white people. Is that what you were kind of trying to say? Uh, yes, and I think it was like they were like, this is a huge battle already and it's not that we don't want that as well. Yeah. But – and again, this isn't this isn't necessarily a reflection on them. It's a reflection on society. But this kind of reminds me of remember when we did uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, mm. and we talked about how the gay rights movement left behind its trans brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I get it in a way because it's like you just want rights, like you want your community to have rights, but you mm. can't let others fall behind mm. as well because mm. that's not equality. Exactly. Exactly. But it's tough because it's like there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. spreading resources, it's spreading time, it's spreading all of it. And so it's tough, but mm. it's important. Yeah. And I won't spoil it, but just watch the show. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So now she's 86 years old, continuing to speak out as a media spokesperson on equality. I think Apple are about to release a series where she, one of the episodes is kind of like a documentary about her. Oh, wow. awesome. Which is really cool. And she actually does talk about... Um, the people who did write to her, or write to the magazine, Ms. Magazine, when it was published. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty incredible. And I'm just going to finish on one of my favourite quotes, which is probably one that's kind of known. In 1998, she gave a keynote address at Stanford University uh, and the event was Her Story. Yes. As obviously celebrating women's history. And she said, noting that the truth is what will set you free, but first it will piss you off. She also noted, among other things, it. yeah, it's great. I think it's not the name of one of her books as well. Mm. She also noted, among other things, that Mozart had a genius sister and maybe a lot of his compositions are hers. Oh, Mike, drop. Wow. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's something to digest that's for a That's a minute. sequel. Yeah. But, like, that's the case with so many men in history. <laughs> Behind every men, men strong now. man is a smart woman, as they say. I hate that saying so much. It <laughs> <laughs> makes me mad. That yeah, was awesome. Very angry. And she's got a huge list of accolades, as you can imagine, but just highly decorated. Busy. Her trophy cabinet, her wall of framed certificates is busy. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not just participation ribbons. They are. The- they are. No, she- none of the, the blue, red, yellow, green that you used to get at the cross country. Oh, carnival. I'm uh, very familiar. Thanks, Lucy. That's all I ever got. So. <laughs> Many awards and honours she has received, of course. American Humanist Association's 2012 
Humanist of the Year, Biography Magazine's 25 Most Influential Women in America, a Library Lion Award in 2015, National Gay Rights Advocates Award, National Women's Hall of Fame inductee 1993, Humanitarian, Humanitarian, United Nations. She just, she's just great. Must be nice to see what you're fighting for start to evolve. Yeah, that'll be good. Obviously, there's still a lot of work, but... Talk about professional satisfaction. Yes. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Feast Families of History. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Feast Females Podcast. Facebook, I think it's Feast Females of History. I don't know. And email. Which is history at gmail.com. Yeah, if you've got a story about someone that you know of. Yes. Please email us and we're going to read it out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, Lucy. <laughs> Oh, what else? What else? <laughs> <laughs> or you can make your way into a factory where they make Chinese fortune cookies and you can leave your little message in a couple of them and maybe they'll make their way to us. It's like that one's got a very low success rate, but cookie. you never know. Maybe the gods will be smiling on you maybe that day and it will make it to us. So true.